This is Dave Chang. And Chris Ying. We are the hosts of Recipe Club. You may have listened to it before, but we are now back on the air, new and improved, with the same hosts that lose every week. I still don't know what the rules are because they've changed as well. Chris, can you give a quick rundown? Every week, we debate the best way to cook the things you want to eat. We take a user, listener, submitted recipe, and we all cook it with our friends, Priya Krishna, Rachel Kong, Brian Ford, and John DeBerry. And then we talk about what went right and what went wrong. No, I actually really don't want to do this podcast. (laughs) And they are hardly our friends. They are enemies. They are enemies. It's Dave's civil disobedience. If you want to see Dave Chang in an act of civil disobedience, tune into Recipe Club where he will not follow the recipe. I'm contractually obligated (laughs) to make this podcast. (laughs) But I'm here to have a good time. So listen to Recipe Club every week on the Ringer Podcast Network. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the, the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear. Especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA. I make calls. I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it, you can work out in it, you can go outside, you can go shopping down in your local wherever, and you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viore.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I dot com slash Simmons. David, what's on your mind today? Um, so yesterday was Easter. This is not an Easter related uh, statement or anecdote or anything like that, except that they had some of my family over yesterday to celebrate the holiday, to have lunch, that whole thing. This is like, this is a media podcast. Do movies and music count as media? They do, Sure, right? sure. So when we need an opening. They certainly do. So we're we're listening to just a, a, some. I'm sure it was Spotify playlist of you know uh, old songs and whatever, just general festive music. And uh, the beginning of well, I'm not going to even tease it. The the beginning of Ray Charles' song "The Mess Around" came on, and somebody <laughs> somebody at the table said, "Well, what song is this?" And three other people at the table said, "This is the Mess Around," and it was almost as amazing to the people who knew it that we all knew it than it was to the person who was asking the question, right? And so we're all sitting there thinking, how do we all know this? I mean, it's a it's a classic song. It's a great song. It has a it has a sort of legendary, identifiable uh, riff. So, I mean, there's, it's not like shocking that one of us would know that we all knew. And so we're like, well, what? this must have been in a movie from our childhood, right? Mm. So... I opened up my uh, my my phone and I, I Googled it, and that led me to this, which is a new edition of legendary press box segment. Google has questions. You know when you type in a question into Google and then it has suggested questions that pop up right underneath, <laughs> and you kind of get an idea of what the world is asking along these lines, right? Um, so. I searched for, I think I just typed in mess around song, right? I'm just going in, I'm using my phone. I'm going very, very like surface here. Okay. 
And one of the first suggested questions that comes up is what movie was the song Mess Around in? So I'm like, okay, here we have the answer. And the answer was Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, which is a great movie. If you remember that scene, it's when uh, C. Martin's asleep in the car and John Candy's driving and smoking a cigarette and the mess oh. around comes on. He sort of tap. It's, it's John Hughes yeah. magic, right? You're it's going a, it's a, the wrong way. Yeah, exactly. It's a fantastic scene. I mean, the, like, but and yet it felt insufficient, right? I said, oh, it's from Plane, Trains, and Automobiles. And the other two people that knew it were just like, no, that's not. That's, that's not the movie. We don't know that, <laughs> that movie. So that led me down the rabbit hole. It was also that scene from Plane, Trains, and Automobiles was parodied on Family Guy. And I believe also in Ted too. So there's obviously a connection there. There's a big, big uh, planes, trains, and automobiles slash mess around um, fandom uh, in the on the uh, in the background there. But what's more interesting is is the questions that followed. Right? It was this not about the mess around anymore? It, it immediately starts suggesting how did Ray Charles go blind? Which uh, I okay. didn't know that there was. Uh, there's not that much of a story there, but a lot of people are apparently asking this. Um, then who is the most famous blind person, which I would read the list, but it's the three or four people that you're familiar with and a bunch of people that you're not. It's very confusing, but I'm glad that people are asking this question too. Uh, um, and then it goes to, can Ray Charles see? And I know that there's this whole Stevie Wonder conspiracy theory, oh, right? No. That Stevie Wonder can secretly see, can Ray Charles see? I decided not to go down that rabbit hole. It felt like a dangerous place to go. Um, but then the questions just started getting more and more general and just sort of like, I'll just read them because I don't really have any commentary. Um, why do blind people wear sunglasses? Um, okay. Can a blind person stare at the sun? Uh, this is something I'm guessing a lot of children have asked over the years. Uh, and then it gets sort of specific and not just about blind people. Um, uh, what happens if you look at the sun for 10 seconds? The question immediately after that is what happens if you look at the sun for 30 seconds? <laughs> Then can your eyes heal from sun damage? Okay. <laughs> and the, and the question after that was, how can I get my vision back? So I mean, I'm guessing there's probably the same people <laughs> are typing these in in a really misbegotten sequence. sequence here. <laughs> yeah. So I did um, ten seconds. Now what? what yeah. I, can I go thirty? And now, yeah. uh oh, what do I do now? <clears throat> Yeah, back to the, the the questions about blind people dig, which is like obviously a little bit sketchy, but there, someone's asked, can the blind shed tears, which should not be a question, uh, no, but apparently a lot of people are asking it. It should, certainly shouldn't be a question if you're familiar with the oeuvre of Ray Charles, who had great songs like, you know, No Use Crying, or I guess you could misunderstand that one. Um, and uh, uh, Cry in Time, which is one of the greatest country and Western songs of all time, although that's a Buck Owen song, I believe. And all the, I started looking at all these other songs. Woke up crying. That's uh, a Burt Baccarat in Hal David song. Uh, I cried for you, drowning my own tears. You've got me crying again. There's a lot of crying that's going on um, in Ray Charles's canon. Uh, although most of them, if not all of them, written by other people. Don't let the sun catch you crying. Sort of brings all these ideas together. And again, a rabbit hole. I don't really want <laughs> to go of, down. Kind of a but, weird. <laughs> weirdly thematic there go ahead but but i started to bring this whole thing full circle i finally went to youtube and i believe that the answer to the question what movie do we all know this from is that it's a great scene in ray the movie that's about oh. ray charles uh and that's i think how we all know the song the mess around that's sort of how we left it uh yesterday although planes trains and automobiles would be good enough for me i mean i clearly remember it from then and that's an incredible scene in the movie um, and it's just absolutely magical. But if you listening to this, recall saying 
the mess around or hearing the mess around in another piece of pop culture that we that I have somehow overlooked and that Google did not lead me to when it was leading me down all these other rabbit holes, please tweet at us or something. Let Brian know and he'll tell me because I, I you know, it's a great song. And this is a riddle that if it's indeed a riddle needs to be answered. Google questions really is the pulse of America, isn't it? Yeah. And the world. Can we can we replace Frank Luntz with Google questions? <laughs> yes, please. Because if I really want to know what people are thinking, what people are too afraid to ask. Yeah. Google questions. Wow. Coming up on this show, David, we're going to do some notes from the NBA playoffs. We're going to check in on the nascent, only in journalism word, USFL. Plus, one member of this podcast team has been caught using announcer voice. Which one of us will it be? Is it the guy who always interviews announcers or is it the other guy? All that more on the Press Box, a part of the Ringer Podcast Network. Hello, media consumers. Brian Curtis, David Shoemaker, producer Erica Cervantes here. David, it is NBA playoff time. The highest of holidays here at TheRinger.com. Mm-hmm. And I would like to break out some NBA playoffs notes for you, if I could. Please do. All right. So did you watch that fantastic Boston Celtics-Brooklyn Nets game yesterday? Uh, I, had, I caught up on it after the fact, but I ended up going back and watching a lot of it. It was a fantastic game. First of all, everybody started busting out that NBA basketball is great. Mm-hmm. The NBA playoffs are great tweets. Now, you know, mm-hmm. man, I'm kind of a, I'm kind of a crabby guy. <laughs> and I tend not to like those kind of tweets, but I will allow it after Celtics Nets. Yeah. Because it was awesome. It had great drama. You had the whole Kyrie Irving thing. The Kyrie Irving press conference after the fact became must watch viewing, mm-hmm. which is interesting. There's like there's a handful of games where you really just want to see what the player says after the game. In this case, because the player has is this done just the, in general, or yeah, yeah, specifically about the middle about the middle finger incident, or is well, this yeah, just the, like the general villainy question? Look, if LeBron hits a game winning shot, LeBron not in the playoffs, but if LeBron hit a game winning shot, of course, I want to see what LeBron says about the game winning shot. Mm-hmm. But in this case, there was an unanswered question: is why are you giving the double bird <laughs> to the Celtics fans, or can you tell us more about the double bird? By the way, that whole line of questioning was fantastic. Mm-hmm. When Kyrie afterwards was saying, you know what? I want to talk about the basketball. And everybody said, <laughs> okay. I feel you like we're awesome. Injured. We can talk about that, but we also want to talk about this too. I feel like I'm forgetting the other examples. The Miles Bridges throwing the mouthpiece, Kyrie. There, there have been a couple more recently that made, make me feel like we're in a sort of new era of, like, I feel like there can be a new power ranking of how professional athletes deal with these sorts of situations, right? The sort of like the wide range of like, the Miles Bridges was the full mea culpa. I shouldn't have done that thing. I apologize. I take whatever punishment. Let's just get that out of the way, you know? And just Kyrie's obviously a little bit more matter of fact answers. Maybe like you or I might answer, just like, well, I was responding in kind, you know? <laughs> and then, you know, there's and then there's obviously like abject denial on the other. I didn't do that. I don't know what you're talking about. That some people go that route. Um, it's fun to see that stuff play out in real time. Yes. And the Irving thing was interesting because there are a lot of people who are have very, let us say, big opinions about Kyrie Irving on Twitter and they watched that. I'm talking about journalists here. Mostly they watched his post-game press conference and he just said, look, there's booing and everything. And then people take it to this personal level. They start using a couple of words, which I won't repeat here on the press box. And that's when I do that. 
You know, mm-hmm. I am responding in kind, as you say. Yeah. And I think he won some people over, actually, after yeah. the game was over. Yeah, I heard Bill and Rosillo talking about it. I mean, the, just the the, the Kyrie storyline in general today about how, you know, he seemed a little bit put off by the fact that the story, the narrative that everybody wanted to talk about was sort of how he's hated by the Celtics fans and all that kind of stuff. And I agree with that. I mean, it's to some extent, you have to kind of know what storyline you're playing into, right? Or I guess you don't have to, but you have to, but it probably helps you as a human being to be a little bit self-aware. Um, but yeah, I mean, but I think that that despite his sort of ambivalence in that role, his response was, yeah, was was human, humanizing. And for a guy that spent the better part of two years being talked about more than much, so much more than he's talked, you know, to, he's about the most like abstract professional athlete in the world for his relative to his fame. Um, I think just being a, having, giving a, a straightforward, like regular person answer to a question like that is, is hugely, you know, is going to get a hugely positive response. It was also a really interesting example of the post-game interview and something that is very, very fraught often in professional sports, especially after a team loses a heartbreaking game like the Nets did. I believe this was Nick Friedel and, and forgive me if I'm getting this wrong, but basically Kyrie didn't want to answer the question. So the questioner just kept rephrasing it until Kyrie gave an answer Mm -hmm. and got a terrific answer and a really interesting answer after it. And this Mm -hmm. is, again, something that has happened for decades and decades and decades in locker rooms. It just wasn't on TV. Then we started seeing it on TV and everybody flipped out because heaven forbid reporters and players would have a tense moment after a game. (laughs) <laughs> happens all the time. Oh, look, this is uncomfortable because now I am watching this exchange. But it was just a very patient effort to get an answer to that question. Do you feel and like that's become a big thing now? I feel like that ha- it happened with uh, Russell Westbrook, although yeah, that was a sort of interesting one. But I was, I think I was traveling. Was I, was I out for WrestleMania? Anyway, I felt like I was in a hotel room and watched that thing like that clip 45 times, you know, over the span of a relatively short time doing other stuff um but that's not the only example either i feel like the 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 athlete maybe they just got great buzz off of that and someone someone just decided that athletes and reporters going at it is good content well it used to be celebrated when the reporters would shut down excuse me when the athletes would shut down the reporters we had that kind of moment probably like five seven years ago where it's like Mm -hmm. aha that how dare that reporter ask a tough question which of course we want reporters to do and now I feel like it's it's balanced out a little bit that you can appreciate the whole exchange. Yeah. And Russ, the one you're talking about, the Russell Westbrook was when Dan Wojcik was on the podcast last week, asked him about, you know, when you're when you're not hitting your shot uh, and when you go cold for like such long stretches, how do you how do you stay in the game? Right. How do you how do you then keep shooting? And he said, I have twenty three thousand points. That was his answer to which Wojcik said, good answer. <laughs> that was that was the exchange. Um, interesting moment, David, at the end of Celtics Nets. So if you didn't watch, the Nets are up one. The Celtics get a stop on the defensive end. They bring the ball down the court. Marcus Smart throws this pretty miraculous pass to Jason Tatum, considering the clock is winding down. Tatum spins left, puts the ball off the glass with plenty of time or just enough time. Shot goes in. Celtics win. And Mike Breen of ESPN, who's calling the game, who is just nails, uh, as always, 
drills the call. Here's what he said. Kicks it out. Smart fakes. Inside. Tatum spins and he puts it in. Celtics go up by one. So that's really, really good. But then an issue came up, which I and Eagle talked about in these parts the other day, which is that with every buzzer beater, David, now we now have to wait for the official review. Mm-hmm. So Mike Breen, with his very, very well-trained NBA eyes sitting courtside, knows that that shot counted. He knows exactly what happened. He called it perfectly. But then his eyes have to go from the shot and the celebration, Celtics going crazy, to the refs. Mm -hmm. And he's reading their body language. And he says, I think the refs are going to wave this off. And you're like, oh, my God. Then we, you know, we had this fantastic game in with this game-winning shot. They're going to wave it off, and the Nets are going to win the game. Then it turns out the refs were just calling for a review. They didn't wave it off. And the Celtics win the game. So right. instead of a picture-perfect last-second buzzer-beating call, which Mike Breen delivers, he, like the rest of us, is now at the mercy of the refs, and it turns into this big muddle. And this has been happening over and over, and this must absolutely drive announcers nuts because that's their moment, right? <laughs> what is your moment? And now you're like, oh my goodness, what a shot. And now we will wait for the official review to confirm my excitement. <laughs> oh my gosh. That would be, can you imagine all the great calls in sportscasting history if uh, official review had been a part of it? Just like, <laughs> do you believe in miracles? Let's see if the referees well, do. Like, do you believe it? <laughs> yeah. Do they believe it? Oh yeah. I think of Kirk Gibson hitting a, hitting the shot out against the A's in 88 and Jack Buck going, I don't believe what I just saw. And, but I will believe it as soon as I see an official review. That's so good. When you have the legends on, you should, th this should be your new shtick. Get them to call the game. I mean, get them to call their biggest moment to repeat it as it, but pretending they have to wait for the referees to review. <laughs> oh, this is great. Instant replay. That's yeah. what we're going to call it. This is awesome. All right. We got a new thing. But the funny one is so there's a couple of things here. One is you have to temper your excitement somewhat. Because you right. don't know if it's going to stand up. Yeah. The second thing is you have to like, and Eagle was talking about this, put a few seconds between the call and the acknowledgement that the refs are going to look at it so that when they rerun this, they replay it. Right. Yeah. And as Eagle was saying, like, he hates the phrase, no flags, because just imagine this is replaying. Oh my God. What a, what a great, he returned the kick for a touchdown. No flags. Yeah, I mean, that sounds so stupid. Yeah. <laughs> on a on a celebratory reel. So you got to do that. But then the this is actually the third category, which is that if you wait long enough, you can talk yourself out of something that you saw. Yeah. Like Tony Romo, I don't know if you remember this, Bills Chiefs, when the Chiefs finally won the game in OT. Mm-hmm. Travis Kelsey catches the pass in the end zone. Tony Romo was like, I think they're going to overturn right. this. And then Jim Dance is like, no, they're not. The Chiefs win. It's like, oh, my God, you just injected a moment of doubt into the end of one of the greatest NFL games of all time just because you were sitting there long enough. Well, at least Nance contradict contradicted him. Maybe the solution here is the pro wrestling 
the pro wrestling setup of having like the color, I mean, the play-by-play guy be a he- be be a good guy and the color guy be a heel, right? So they could just say definitive things that are at odds with one another. Mm. So you know, you don't opposed. have to worry about the review. You don't have to be like, <laughs> like, like, you know, down goes Frazier. But did he have, did he have a loaded glove? That's the question, you know? <laughs> So you're saying that just by, I'm going to argue that he didn't get the shot off in time because that's what I do. I'm the yes. bad guy basketball yeah. announcer. And you can separate the audio for the future replays if need be. I see. So just don't step on me. Just come in. <laughs> you come in five seconds later and say, you know, I actually didn't hit that shot. They're going to take this off because I'm the bad guy and I argue. But, but the true, but the, but the, but yeah, one per- the true believer is already out there yelling, just announcing it as if it's true. The play-in game we had the other night between the Minnesota Timberwolves and the L.A. Clippers was interesting because the T-Wolves were going absolutely crazy after the game, in particular Patrick Beverly, going nuts that they won a play-in game and were going to be part of the playoffs. And I guess the Turner crew afterwards gave them the business for celebrating too much because it wasn't a series, David. It wasn't an actual playoff game. It was a play-in game. Mm-hmm. And that got bad reviews. I heard Rosillo talking about this the other day saying, you know, look, do you know the last time the Timberwolves won any kind of postseason game? Yeah. Are we going to just cut them some slack? But it got me to thinking, like, is the athletes are celebrating too much? Has that ever been a successful take for anybody on television or in print? I don't think so. I mean, it- because we've had question. like the football version, right? These end zone dances are out of control. We've had the baseball one, like you're showing up the pitcher because you hit the home run. And it never it never goes well. First of all, it's just wrong anyway. Like, well, yeah. Don't yeah. you think people at home want to see the athletes excited and celebrating? I mean. Well, I think it's a successful take. I don't know that it gets, a, I don't think people push back on it a lot because it all comes from the sort of, you know, uh, what's the adage? Like, act like you've been here before. Right. That's something that we all have ingrained in us. You know, that's sort of you don't don't over celebrate winning game one of a playoff series because, you know, Jordan, and the Bulls, they didn't celebrate till they were popping champagne at the end of the finals. Right. But mm-hmm. it's not I don't think there's a lot of concrete examples of people that have like over celebrated and it come back to haunt them. I'm sure there are. I'm sure there are. But it does, but it's not it's not a terribly effective take. I mean, who cares? Who cares if you're I mean, you should be excited about winning a big game, you know? I mean, it's a big big moment. And what if in fact like the Timberwolves you have never been here before? Yes, exactly. <laughs> or it's been a really 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 long time since yeah. you've been successful in the postseason at all. And then they went out and won their first game against the Grizzlies. Yeah. And it doesn't even have to be like explicable in that sort of way. I mean, it could just be like, what if you just, you know, what if everybody, what if the coach was having a hard time at home and the team promised him they would get him a win and that's why they're celebrating. You know, I mean, there could be a million reasons besides just like whatever you're seeing on the surface that the team is that excited. Speaking of the play-in tournament, can we get in on the play-in tournament discourse? Sure. Because I'm interested in this. So if people don't know, for a long time, eight teams in each conference made the NBA playoffs. One through eight. Mm-hmm. And then it was decided two years ago that that was not enough teams to make the play to make the NBA playoffs. So now we're going to have the ninth team and the tenth team be part of this play-in tournament. And we're still going to get to the playoffs with eight teams, but we're going to introduce extra games so that the tenth right. team and the ninth team are not left out. 
Now, this year in the Eastern Conference, the two extra teams were actually pretty decent. Cavs and Hornets both over 500. But in the Western Conference, David, the Pelicans, who did actually make the playoffs, are were 10 games under 500. So they were not a good basketball team. Right. The Spurs, who also made the play-in tournament, were 14 games under 500. Mm-hmm. They were really a bad basketball team. Yeah. So I always find the reasoning here gets a little tortured when we talk about expanding the playoffs. But what what is the best reason to do this, do you think, that you've heard? Well, it's, I mean, it's it's fun. It's exciting. It gets it gets some energy, some some uh, you know March Madness style energy into the front end of the NBA playoffs, which sometimes take a little while to get rolling because it's not just the ninth and tenth seeds that have that are potentially you know lousy or you know unworthy in whatever sense of of being in the playoffs. There's always the seventh and eighth seeds often feel the same way. Sometimes it's more teams than that. You know, it's uh, there's a lot of inevitability baked in to the NBA playoffs. And, you know, we remember the upsets, but there's a reason why we do, right? Uh, so it's nice to have this exciting thing and to have some spotlight on the sort of lesser team, the, you know, the lower ranked teams and to potentially start telling the story of these underdog teams, come, you know, trying to fight their way up through the playoffs, you know, at the, from the very beginning without having to, you know, just hash that out during the first few games of the first round. I mean, I think it's, I, I think it's great. I think that, I think that, you know, when you're talking about the number of games that some of these teams are below 500, uh, yeah, I, I, you know, I think that that point is valid. But anytime that you expand playoffs, that's going to be a point you can make, right? I mean, when they created the 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 NCAA football playoffs, like the the, the I mean, almost immediately, there's there's going to be teams involved that are by any metric less deserving of a national championship than the top two teams, mm-hmm. right? And sometimes sort of, sometimes that's sort of gallingly so, right? Because you get to factor in like, you know, who the, who have you lost to and teams that have lost to other teams that are in the playoff, but that's why they're in the playoff. But it all seems very, it's all very foggy, right? The logic behind it sometimes. It, I mean, that's always going to be a problem. I don't have as much of a problem with it here. I'd much rather have a, you know, sub 500 Spurs team, like shock the world and become an interesting storyline for the first round of the playoffs, potentially further than, than, you know, just to go in sort of plottingly in the way that the regular season always kind of seems to end. Even Um, if the Spurs were significantly worse than the eighth seed in the Western conference over the course of the season. Right. Because that, that's the contradictory value here is like, what's the best way to pick a champion? Or at least I just find. The, I mean, what's the best way to pick the teams in the playoffs? And if you're saying, "Well, you were way worse over what we say are 82 important basketball games," mm-hmm. why do you get a chance to knock out somebody who was better than you because you can win a couple of games? I mean, it's kind of hard to make the kind of moralistic argument for 82 important basketball games when like half of the stars of the league are taking significant numbers of those games off just to sort of save themselves to the playoffs, right? No, I mean, true. It's, but I mean, I think you can, I, 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 it's, I, I agree if it were an issue where, if it were a situation where every year that there were, that, you know, two or four or all four of the, you know, the teams in the play in were, were just had just dramatically sub 500 records. And this is just, or just, they were just a huge step below then they might have to reconsider just based on the appearances of it all. But, you know, as long as it's not like that all the time, I mean, I've heard some people argue that obviously for, for 
for seeding the playoffs, like without the, the you know without the conferences or divisions in mind. Uh, I do think that there's some logic to that, but again, that that would be more of an upheaval. Although I think the big thing that the playoff has shown, the the play in has shown us, is that. I mean, my biggest hang up with it when it was being discussed was that it just seemed like so unlikely. It just seemed like such an upheaval, right? It seemed it, it, to to NBA playoff tradition and just to how like how are we going to make this work? And what it's shown us is that they can just make it work. You know, you just sort of push it through and it's fine. And like, does that count as a playoff game or a regular season game? It's all like it's it all exists in this sort of nether world. And that yes. seems like a big problem, but it's also just sort of not a problem because it just, it just, now it's done, you know? So I, I, I don't know. I think that more than anything is interesting to me just because it has opened up the doors to potentially allow all of these changes that just seem sort of oddly impractical from, you know, and that being the main reason they couldn't take place. Well, now they can. Well, if the standard is it's fun and I agree, it's fun. Like some of the games, some of the playing games were awesome, including that uh, T-Wolves Clippers game that we mentioned a second ago. Isn't everything fun? I mean, basketball is fun, right? Yeah. So shouldn't we allow 24 teams to compete somehow in the playoffs? Well, <laughs> I think I, that the, I think the, the way the place you're going is shouldn't we allow like rock and jock style basketball rules, right? Wouldn't it well, be more fun if there was a 20 point <laughs> shot? Yeah, well, or <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I mean, I was thinking like, let's say like last year, the Bucks beat the Suns in the NBA finals. I mm -hmm. think we should have then an extra game. And if the Suns win that extra game, even after they've been eliminated, they have to start the whole finals over. <laughs> like that would be because that's fun that's a very fun way to do the play who wouldn't want yeah, that well i think that the, i think that all of this sort of the, quietly hinges on the fact that none of these teams are going to win the title and if there were a time where a play-in team won the title and especially where a play-in team won the title in a situation where like the team that would have been the eighth seed had some sort of quantifiable leg up on them. Like they would have won that game had their star been healthy or they beat them every time in the right, whatever. And we're like every team along the way can point and say, well, there was a reason why that team beat <laughs> us and they shouldn't have been here to begin with. Then I think that people might reconsider because I, because it's fun, but it's also a harmless kind of fun, right? Yes. So it's the Pelicans not, this are not going to win the NBA title. Right. And if they did win the NBA title, then I think people would, you know, have more of a, a, you know, justifiable issue with it. So I think you, I think you've actually hit on the safety check system here, because remember the NFL did this two years ago. They mm -hmm. allowed an extra playoff team, and I think you and I, you know, looking at the NFL, would say, oh, that team's probably going to be pretty decent. You know, not not terrible, but pretty decent. It turns out the team is not really good at all. Like this year, it was the Steelers. Remember that Steelers team and what they were like at the end of the season playing Casey in the playoffs? That was the extra team. Mm -hmm. And the Eagles, remember that Eagles team that went to Tampa Bay and about yeah. five minutes into the game, you're like, all good. Uh, we're, we're all good with that. So it yeah. does give you that extra morsel of postseason content. But... There is very, very little chance that team is actually that team might win a game or might win mm -hmm. a series in the NBA, I guess, under certain circumstances. The Mavericks were the first seed and Luka got hurt. Could they lose to, you know, whoever yeah, was sure. the new eight seed? Yeah, probably. But um, you're right. They're probably not going to win the title. So maybe then it's all good fun. Um, I always it's funny to me. Bill was talking about like it stops teams from tanking. They have less incentive to tank if yeah. you know that you can finish. I agree with that. And I think that tanking is such a thing now that that's 
a good check. It's just funny. Like you're present for not tanking. You're the gift we're giving you is that you get to get into the playoffs Mm -hmm. just by not trying extravagantly to lose all of your games. (laughs) We're going to make you one of the best teams in the, in the, in the whole league. feels like there's just no middle ground anymore. It's like, what happened to mediocre? There's the best teams in the league. There's the abject worst teams in the league. Mediocre then just kind of got gerrymandered into the best. Yeah. In all these leagues. By the way, same thing for the NCAA tournament. At some point, the NCAA tournament said, you know what? 64 teams. We don't think that's enough. We don't think we're effectively choosing the champ- the champion the right way here. How about 68? <laughs> like, yeah. We need four. We're leaving some very deserving, mediocre teams out. So how about 68 teams to yeah. compete for the national championship it's 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 all the rage right now just you know let a few more teams in i think that all those i mean football to me is sort of the most problematic because it's one game i mean playing for some teams is a one game situation too but these football i mean football games can you know rise and fall based on they can an injury weird. or two or whatever i mean it could it could go it, and, and and every game could be could could spell an injury for one of the most important players on a team, right? So that that makes it a little bit more difficult thing from a from a conceptual point of view. But still, yeah, I mean, it's like you know, let the more teams, the merrier, right? I mean, who cares? We're just no. moving to we're moving towards just permanent playoffs, right? It's like it's the despite uh, reference college football before. I know your whole argument against the football playoff was we already have a football playoff. It starts in week one. And if you lose a game, you're out, you know, <laughs> Thank you um, for remembering. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, the permanent playoffs, isn't that the direction we're all headed? Just like get everything's exciting all the time. Well, yeah. Cause those are, those are the money games, right? Like, yeah. you know, you can tune out the regular season, not, not the NFL, but in other sports, you can kind of keep one eye on the regular season. But if you starts mm-hmm. to be postseason, even netherworld, Postseason, mm-hmm. but not playoffs. Baseball yep. clearly has made this decision numerous times, numerous different times to keep doing it. And to me, that's what's always an interesting part of the playoff discussion that I think gets left out is once you hit the button on these, you can never go back. No one will ever say we're going to shrink the postseason because you'd almost certainly be giving money away. And if anybody can find uh, an instance for me, I'm sure it's happened somewhere that the postseason of any sport has shrunk after mm-hmm. being enlarged. I, I, I don't think that's ever happened, or it's happened so seldomly. So once you do it, you're in. Like yeah. it's never, it's never going back. Well, I mean, there might still be changes. You know, there's rumors that the NBA is going to keep expanding at yep. least to a couple more cities, and this maybe opens the door for a more equitable number of teams sort of being nominally in the playoffs if even as the league expands and maybe this opens the door to continued sort of rejiggering of the playoff system if there's more teams you know i mean do it now when it's just fun and meaningless as opposed to some big overhaul at some point when it's more necessary and more difficult i don't know i mean you're absolutely right i could imagine them going backwards though i mean if the spurs really somehow ran the table and won that and won the title i feel like there would be you know, 16 owners who would go into the next owner's <laughs> meeting and be like, we got to get rid of that thing. That felt suspiciously like a sports segment, David. So let's do the <laughs> overworked Twitter joke of the week where right. we celebrate a gag that was so obvious that all of media Twitter made it at exactly the same time. Send your nominees to at the press box pod where they are always gratefully received. Speaking of the play in tournament late in the second quarter of the T wolves Clippers game, David, a protester got on the court 
first everybody was a little confused. Then we got this report from Turner's Ali LaForce. What, what was going on? It's worse than graffiti. I was just told by security that she apparently had glue and she glued herself to the floor. And she refused to lift her wrist up. And I don't mean to laugh, but this really happened. She glued her wrist to the floor and they were trying to pull her off and she was resisting trying to keep her wrist glued down. So that was um, later upgraded to super glue. She was attempting to super glue herself to the floor there in Minnesota. It was a protest about Glenn Taylor, who is the Timberwolves owner, killing chickens at a farm he owns. After an outbreak of influenza, pretty sure I've got that right. But do you want to hear some of the best tweets about the person who tried to glue themselves to the floor in Minnesota? Oh, God. Okay. All right. Uh, Does glue lady get a statue outside the target center if the wolves win the game? That was one of them because the momentum did really appear to change after that. Uh, Major League Baseball sent out a memo asking pitchers to please stop contacting the glue lady. (laughs) If you got stuck on glue lady, congrats. You made the overworked Twitter joke of the week. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there, just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier, thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive, or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side-by-side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear. Especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA. I make calls. I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it you can work out in it. You can go outside, you can go shopping down in your local wherever, and you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. 
to find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. All right, David, in other sports news, Saturday night was the debut of the USFL. Yes, we're trying spring football again. And by Hmm. we, I mean the networks. The game was simulcast on Fox and NBC, uh, one of those rare double network treatments. First question I had watching the football, which was not terrible because it's fun, just like playing basketball is fun, was who is this for? Because if you have teams that no one has ever heard of because they didn't exist 10 minutes ago, and the the quality of play is bad. And if you saw Paxton Lynch running out there throwing the ball to the other team, you can testify <laughs> that a lot of it was really bad. What brings people back for week two and week three to watch something like this? Is that a question? Yeah. Well, I don't know. I mean, it's kind you of know, the question, right? If the original XFL is any, is, is the Rosetta Stone here. Like what pe- brings people back is, you know, WWF announcers and cheerleader cams. I don't know, but nobody came back for that either. I mean, no, they, they didn't. They, they uh, it's it's a great question. I mean, it's there's a no, the novelty. People talk about the novelty wearing off. I mean, the novel the novelty is 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 kind of all they have, right? I mean, it, it, it's it's hard to talk somebody into a sport that doesn't matter. Right. I mean, we've, mm-hmm. we've convinced ourselves that the sports that we care about matter in some sort of deep intrinsic sort of way but how do you do i mean it seems to me like it would be easier to talk somebody into talk viewers into i don't know what's this wild like cornhole like one of these sports that comes on espn2 in some bizarre weekend show or something because you can at least say or like an arm world arm wrestling league or whatever you can at least say these are the best in the world like we have gone through everybody everybody wants to do this these are the best that's f1 yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. You don't know anything about this, but these are the best race car drivers or at least Formula One drivers in the world. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not football is not football is just not. I mean, at least with basketball, if you're like, you know, you can watch like a well, I mean, I was going to I was going to say you could watch like a, you know, a high school travel team sort of situation. But those are some of the best players in their age group. But you could definitely like, you know watch some dudes dunking over other dudes and you could just be like, okay, that's fun. <laughs> you know, you can go to the rodeo dudes and just be like, I appreciate it. over other dudes. <laughs> now on ESPN too. You could watch a lot of different sporting sports and sporting type things like as a barrel racing or something and be like, this is great. I don't know why I'm here. This is great. You know, but football is not really made that way. Football is not like you can't, you're not going to watch somebody, you know, throw a great block on the O-line and just be like, I'm so glad I got to see that. I mean, that's, no one cares. Well, that's the, that's an interesting part of it, right? Because you're separating out like football. Americans love football. They love it, love it, love it. It's one of the only things they watch on live television. But do they love it if it's just the sport without the teams they care about, the colleges and universities they care about, or at least like a kind of, you know, define pro prospect line where I can watch, sit down and watch a Georgia game because all these guys are going to be number one picks here in a week and a half. Mm -hmm. Like if you just strip all that away and you're basically to go back to the XFL, you're saying you could find the next Tommy Maddox, an NFL backup quarterback who deserves a second chance here. 
Mm-hmm. That's what you're looking for. Or, you know, players that may maybe play a little more of a significant role, but that's what you're looking for here. With teams you don't know, teams you don't care about, teams you probably never will care about. Mm-hmm. Because they're going to change a lot. I mean, I just, I just, I think that's an interesting experiment <laughs> at some level. Do we care about football or do we care about teams and coaches and players and universities we like? And I think the answer is almost is mostly the latter, but I guess this is the experiment. Well, and also just to sort of, I mean, frankly, the contained set of like the foot, the the teams in the NFL and the transaction. I mean, listen, we always talk about how the, the, the transaction, the the team rumor signings and everything else is bigger than the game itself. Well, that that's completely absent in any other league. Right. I mean, no, you have no frame of reference at all to talk about, to talk about free agency in the USFL or, you know, anything else is happening behind the scenes. So that's absent too. There is already a weekly documentary series happening because you're not allowed to have a new sport now without the documentary experience explaining the sport and its players to you. Mm-hmm. This one variety reports is called United by football, a 13 episode documentary series produced by the league NFL films and Fox sports. So that's happening. Also, these new leagues are fun as laboratories for invention, for production. And there were a lot of drones going on at the NFL, or excuse me, with the USFL the other day, so much so that you could hear that weird drone noise that you hear when you take your family to the park, mm-hmm. just constantly during the game that was mm, <laughs> just going <laughs> off. Some of the shots were cool, and it was, it honestly looked like, what like a fifties or sixties idea of the future is like, we'll play football <laughs> and there'll be these flying cameras that will follow the players around the field. It was like Tomorrowland football mm-hmm. to me. Like all we needed was like the quarterback has a jet pack on, you know, and, yeah. and, and levitates 10, 10 yards above the field and throws a pass. Very, very funny, but, but, but pretty cool. Also, new color commentator, David, in the USFL, Jason Garrett. You might remember his comedy stylings as the Dallas Cowboys head coach. Was not a bad commentator. All things being equal. I was watching the game and I was like, are we sure he's worse than Drew Brees? (laughs) He was explaining snap counts. He was doing, he was not, he was not being incisive or like funny despite hearing Jason Garrett has a great sense of humor. Can't tell you how many times I actually heard that one, but he was like super competent. Not bad. Jason Garrett. Welcome. Welcome to the, welcome to sports media. Do you think we're Pat? I mean, I know that again, this is going to be a very obviously wrong. As soon as I say it, do you think that we're past the point where an unsuccessful player like an unsuccessful someone of that profile who's not successful can be a major announcer because they come with too much baggage at this point. If like you can't just what if Jason Garrett was if Jason Garrett was undeniably the best color guy, color football guy behind Tony Romo in the world <laughs> and Fox was like, well, Aikman's gone. We're bringing on Garrett. Don't you think the backlash would just because of his career, his coaching career would be too severe for that to happen? So the question uh, needs to include the phrase, did this unsuccessful player or coach play for the Cowboys? <laughs> well, I don't think necessarily. I mean, there's al- there's always been people who, you know, 
you joke when you're watching a football game. It's like that guy was a terrible GM or like, you know, whatever, you know, but it's I don't know. It just seems like it just seems like it would be a hard sell now that everything's so like media focused, you know, everybody, everything's everything's about the pop that you get when you when you sign somebody. Well, and you want to see the stars. I mean, yeah. I always feel like that. I was like, if you ask me in in the ab, in just in, in the abstract, like, do you want to see like a huge famous football player calling the game, mm-hmm. or do you want to see a less famous football player who's really, really good at explaining it X's and O's? Of course, I would say the latter. But then yeah. I turn on the TV and I'm like, there's Terry Bradshaw, exactly. There's Troy Aikman, yeah. You know, like, yeah, I want to see famous people calling the games, and I think the networks do too. Got a uh, new edition of Media Piss Test for you. Great. This is where we catch the media or uh, even public figures occasionally saying that something or someone is on steroids, quote unquote. (laughs) Uh, Listener Intermodal Motorist sends this one along from Business Insider talking about Elon Musk's attempted takeover of Twitter. This is a disaster. Uh, And it's not only about Elon Musk, but he kind of puts it on steroids according to shoshana zuboff uh that was a quote to the washington post and here's another one david from the world of basketball this came from our good friend kyle madsen uh before the nuggets played the golden state warriors in game one denver coach michael malone was asked about the warriors three guard lineup listen to what he said yeah it's a a hell of a challenge um you know, I go back to last season, my first-round matchup against Portland, you know, Dame, CJ, Norman Powell. Uh, and this, no disrespect to those guys, but this is like on steroids. On steroids. The Warriors are the <laughs> Blazers on steroids. Great stuff. Uh, finally, David, I got a call-out tweet here. Pressbox listeners usually don't do this kind of thing. Usually very enthusiastic about the show, but occasionally they have to raise a point. Uh, in this case, David Tratner did. Uh, he is pointing out that one of the side effects of the podcast era of sports journalism, which you and I are both a part of, is that we all eventually fall prey to using announcer voice. We stop talking <laughs> to each other like we normally do, and we start doing this thing of announcers, David. On to the new thing. Dum, 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 dum. Uh, Tratner writes, when are Brian Curtis and David Shoemaker going to break down the use of announcer voice and pregnant oh. pauses in podcast promos (laughs) and here was his particular Uh gripe there are certain moments and words that shaped a new era in pro wrestling i thought we were doing that brett screwed brett die rocky die introducing the book of wrestling 25 catchphrases that explain the Attitude Era. Tune in as we relive one of the most exciting, voice? intense, and over-the-top times <laughs> with WWE. With new interviews, with the voices that made the promos, calls, and catchphrases into history. Listen now. Yeah, okay. Well, I thought that was coming. Um, so I'm doing this new podcast <laughs> called The Book of Wrestling. And yeah, the, dude, the promo part is so weird. The hardest part about doing a narrative podcast for me has been... Like I am, I've been doing this podcast thing for a long time, but doing the, you did narrative stuff in the early days of, of the ringer. I just, I kind of expected to be Svengali'd by somebody a lot more than I have been. You know, I thought there would be somebody who was just like, no, no, say it like this, you know, as I'm doing every line. 
And for the for the trailer, I just I, I would think I was doing it alone in a room with nobody in my ear. I just read it like five completely different ways. You try to be different from the one before, and like, yeah, use whatever one you guys like, you know. <laughs> um, so yeah, now I'll, I'll take the hit. I'll take the hit. But I appreciate that they're paying attention. I will say that the first time I heard that promo, I was listening. I think to I was listening to either one of the wrestling podcasts or Bill's podcast. Can't remember which. For like the first two and a half seconds, I did not know it was your voice. Yeah, no, that doesn't sound like me. Also, it didn't really sound like announcer voice. It sounded kind of like you were doing golf voice. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, we have a new wrestling documentary here. It's uh, 10 feet from the cup. And the, uh, I am being very yeah. unnaturally quiet. The I one that I did right before that was announcer voice. That's why it sounds like that. Because the one I did right <laughs> You were overcorrecting. Yeah, I was just like, this week on... 25 catchphrases then i'm just like no 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 that doesn't sound that sounds silly so i just try to go like how do i make myself take it the other way yeah i never have more appreciation for professional announcers than when i try to do announcer voice yeah because it sounds like shit and you realize those guys are not doing a parody of an announcer they are actually talking in that voice and Mm -hmm. sounding good and the lesson to be learned by all of us in any voice you want, David, it's time for David Shoemaker Guesses, the strained pun headline. Yeah. Thursday's headline about a man who looked exactly like Bruce Willis was Yippie Kaye doppelganger. <laughs> Still one of the best ones we've had. Uh, after we did that last week, David, Travis Andrews, who wrote that piece, pointed out to me an email that it was Washington Post copy editor Doug Norwood who wrote that headline. Congratulations, Doug. Glad we can credit the artist today's headline david comes from listener chris clark it's from the toronto star which really punches above its weight in this feature real economist of canada vibes the story in question is about a new sport it's called barn hunt in this new sport you place rats in a barn and have your dog sniff them out See, now I would watch this over the USFL. This is, this I, is I the think best, so. The best sniffing dogs. Are we in the getting world. the best sniffing dogs in the world? Yeah. yeah. Are we? We're not getting. We're not getting sniffing dogs. They're just going to be backups <laughs> in the other league, are we? Uh, the sniffing dogs go find the rat, and they bring the rat back to its owner, back to the dog's owner. That is, uh, the rat though is safe in a plastic tube, so no rat is harmed here, according to the star. Uh, the star says Barn Hunt lets dogs hone their natural instincts and bond with their owners. So we're sniffing out rats, David. What was the Toronto Star's strained pun headline? So is it some like you stinking rat thing? It's, uh, rat, uh, mm. uh, filthy uh, rat, rat smell. Okay. How, if what you if smell I smell what you- the rat is cooking? I'm going to save that for the uh, wrestling podcast. Uh, what if we thought of a, give me a 1992 Al Pacino vehicle? Whoa. Yeah, uh, scent of a, oh, um, scent of a scent of a rodent, scent of a uh, scent of a not woman, but what? Another word for rat and rat kind would be scent of a. I have no idea. Not rodent. Little, what? No, what a little is it? on the scientific side. Scent of a. The, the i haven't oh no what is it i have no idea scent of a vermin oh vermin jeez that's great that's a scent good line. That's a, of that's a, a vermin. Good headline he is david shoemaker i'm brian curtis production magic by erica cervantes we are back wednesday david with a very special guest speaking of the nba 
And speaking even of that Timberwolves game, he is Kevin Harlan of Turner. Also calls the NFL for CBS. Talking about his approach to calling NBA games and telling some fantastic stories. Can I tease one real quick? Yeah, go ahead. He was the Timberwolves announcer. Did you know this, Kevin Harlan, before he went national calling NBA games? No, but I believe it. And in 1990, he got sounded out. In fact, he got offered the job, he told me, of being the Chicago Bulls play-by-play announcer. Uh-huh. Now, do you know what run commences during the 1990-1991 season that might have been really fun to call as a play-by-play man? Yeah. yeah. Championship. Yeah. Yeah. Turned it down. Stayed with the team. Wow. Fantastic. Wow. Uh, plus, David and I are back with more lukewarm takes about the media and probably the NFL draft too, David. See you then. See you later, Brian. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side-by-side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today.